You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Another show of The Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy the Delinquent Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Mr. Speeder, what is going on, bud? The weather is changing. Thanksgiving is next week. How are you feeling, bud? I'm all right. Fall weather is your kind of weather, so mm-hmm. I guess you could enjoy that. But yes, definitely looking forward to Thanksgiving. Looking forward to seeing my brothers and my uncle. You just saw them. A month ago. I understand you're very close to your family, but what does it matter if you see them every single week? Well, Thanksgiving. It's I mean, a holiday. It's, I mean, it's a special occasion. To me, I'd rather just stay away, see my family maybe once a month, if I'm lucky, every second of the month. Again, Thanksgiving obviously wasn't the same as last year because of the pandemic, so it's like a real oh, Thanksgiving about, again. So you could embrace the traditions. How could you forget about that? Yeah. The end of the fall as we transition into winter. I forgot that you have to be six feet away last year, so mm-hmm. nobody could be in the same room as each other. So that's how the country and the world was thinking. And now all of a sudden, COVID is still around. It's probably even worse than it ever was. And guess what? People are going to people's houses and enjoying Thanksgiving. What is the difference? Why? Because they have a vaccine. It's ridiculous. But nevertheless, we're here to entertain you guys for the next two hours. We have a special guest. We will be talking to Jets insider editor-in-chief and beat writer Chris Nimbley talking a little bit Jets football. I'm sure it'll be very interesting to hear what he has to say about the New York Jets. With all their woes and all the craziness going on with this organization, maybe we can get into the draft. There is no next year for the Jets. There's no this year for the Jets. We'll also get into Joe Flacco and his thoughts of Joe Flacco and the Mike White story, where Zach Wilson is, when is he coming back, and where this team is heading in the offseason. That'll be very interesting, and I'm sure Chris will give us the answers to that a little bit later in the show. We'll get into the Islanders playing their first game today at the UBS Arena and why I think this was a catastrophe for the New York Islanders early in the season. 15 games in a season, they haven't had a home game. How this affects the Islanders' season moving forward, being that they have their first home game, the 16th game of the season, and how it affects them moving forward, especially when they have to get used to the ice, get used to their new home, and it's like playing another way game. We will get into the New York Jets and the New York Giants. Week 11, our picks. Who's going to leave for that, Speedy? You gained ground. You got two points last week. I got one because the Patriots and Chiefs both won in blowouts, so you got both overs. I got a point on the 49ers, but that was it. So you gained a little ground. All right, so I'm slowly pulling away from the speedster. We'll get into the Knicks. Back and forth, playing good basketball, not playing good basketball. The Nets figuring things out. Kevin Durant is starting to take over. And we see the greatness of what Kevin Durant could do and could be when he works on all cylinders. First things first, why don't we get into the New York Islanders? Because the Islanders played the first game at the UBS Arena at home today. And you know what throws me off about this season more than anything? The Islanders were one of the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup this year. They brought in Zach Parise, Shara. This team is working on all full cylinders. They re-signed practically every single player. They have every single player practically under contract for the next three years. So this 
This team is very well put together by Lou Lamorello. They didn't go after a big-time scorer to play with Barzell. That doesn't hold off what they can do at the trade deadline if they see a player or need be an offensive player to play with Barzell. But not playing a home game in four weeks of the regular season is a bad sign this season for the New York Islanders. The New York Rangers are playing great hockey. They're not traveling as much. The Islanders have traveled in 15 games over 15,000 miles in a month. And you look at where the Islanders are and where they're going to be as the season progressively goes, we don't know. Because, again, they got to figure out how to play on their home eyes. So, They're really playing an away game with all the other teams. They don't know what the ice is all about. It's going to take them at least a month, a month and a half to figure out their ice, practice on their ice consistently. That affects the team's growth and where this team is going to go this year. Then losing Pulak for a significant amount of time, four to six weeks. They are bringing up their kid Salo. He looks really, really good. He's one of the best defensemen in the AHL. He could be a very special player. But nevertheless, they lose one of their superstar defensemen. It really sets them back. But as an Islander fan, and as all the Islander fans here on the island think of what this team was going to be this year, being that they're 5-6-2 and two right now, nobody would have thought 15 games into the season that the Islanders would have a losing record. Definitely weathering the storm well, though, considering it could have been a lot worse. With the talent that they have, yeah, 5-6-2. and two. It could have been 3-10-2 with all that travel lag. So give them a lot of credit in certain areas, especially with Sorokin. He's had some great stretches this season. Yeah, he had a couple duds. Okay, every goalie is a couple duds. I think it ends up helping to, that they got rid of it now. Now they get a bunch of home games, and I think the only road games they have in the next eight games are local. I think it's the Flyers and the Devils. In terms of the ice, I think it's definitely going to be an adjustment period for the Islanders. Now, they're not a speed-driven team. They're one of the slowest teams in terms of pace, but that's one of those things that still is going to be a tough process for the ice, so it'll make it kind of a neutral site game. The crowd will definitely be a factor for the Islanders, where I don't think it'll make it a complete away game, but it definitely could favor a team that maybe is more used to playing on ice surfaces that are newer, another team that might have a new arena. The Leafs, the Penguins, and the Rangers, their next three games. They all have more older arenas, so they might have a tough time with a a newer arena as well, but it's definitely going to be an adjustment process for the Islanders, where even with the home games, it might not be right away, but the crowd will definitely be a big factor for it, Absolutely, which is why I don't think it'll be a complete away game. Absolutely will be a huge factor moving forward, the Islander fans, but again, it's a new stadium, it is not the Nassau Coliseum. It's not the Barclay Center. They have to figure out what the sound's going to be in the stadium. Nobody knows because the stadium hasn't been full yet. And I know today was their first home game and we saw how loud it was, but still it's going to take a while for them to get used to playing at home. So the Islanders are still trying to climb and and try to get to the top of the wall and you have teams like the Rangers that are playing good hockey. They're 10-4-3. Kalan has really gotten this team working on all cylinders. 23 points. They're in second in the division. And really, Carolina is pulling away in the division, 13-2. and two, And the Islanders do not want to fall too behind these teams. Because right now, the Islanders are almost 16 points behind Carolina. It's going to take them a 7, 8, or 9-game winning streak. And Carolina losing 6 games of their next 9 games for the Islanders to catch up to them. In the NHL, being that they're in a very tough division, you can't fall behind like this. I know what you're saying, Speedy. They got four games on the Rangers. They got four games on Washington, two games on Carolina, one game on Columbus, two games on the Devils, three games on the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they can 
pick up ground. Absolutely can right. pick up ground, but they got to win. And being that they're playing home games now, it's going to take them a while to figure out what it is to play at home because they never had a chance. And I don't know whose idea this was. I blame management. I blame ownership right now and Malkin and Ledecky. How could you go into the season knowing that it's going to take you 13, 14 games into the season before you play your first home game? It's definitely an extreme scenario. It's definitely not ideal to play 15 road games in a row. But it's still kind of good that they did it now 15, rather than later in the season. Almost 15,000 miles, Speedy. Yeah, I know. But again, better now than later in the season when your team's going to be worn out right before the playoffs. It could be a lot worse. And the Metropolitan Division is also going to start playing against each other more often. It seems like more than usual because of what happened last year with the regional scheduling. They rearranged the divisions. Now you're seeing a lot more out-of-conference games right in the beginning of the season. You're seeing the Rangers had a West Canada trip already. I think the Devils had a lot of West Coast games already. I think the Flames played already Metropolitan teams. They just lost to the Flyers. So you're seeing a lot more travel already from even some of the other teams too, where I think those in-division games, especially rivalry games at the beginning of the year, could be a big boost for the Islanders too, in terms of getting the crowd into it right away. And a lot of the teams they're playing in the next three games, the Maple Leafs, the Penguins, and the Rangers, they're all more speed-oriented teams. So that might be a tough adjustment if it's new ice too, right away, that they're not used to in comparison to their own ice or even ice that's more familiar because all three of those teams have older arenas too. In terms of the regular season standings, I don't think the Islanders' goal is to necessarily gun for number one in the division. No, but you don't want to fall behind where you're in the eighth seed and you no. have to play the best team in the first round. But that was also never their strength. The Islanders have always been a good... Built for the playoffs. Right. They're built for the playoffs and they've been building and it's an underdog type role. The Hub City year, they were the seventh overall seed out of the 12 teams that made it and last year they were the fourth seed in the Eastern Division, where they won games on the road. They won three games in Pittsburgh. They won two games in Boston. They're built for that kind of success, where they don't necessarily need to be a number one seed. First of all, you don't know if they're going to be a playoff team this year, because starting this slow could affect them moving forward this season. Now, they have more home games now for the rest of the season, so that could benefit them later in the season. But I don't know. The Rangers playing good hockey. Washington is playing great hockey. And then there's the Carolina Hurricanes are just unbelievable. You're really chasing. Like you said, Speedy, even though they're chasing. They still have a lot of games up on a lot of teams, but they're already fighting injury. They lost Pulak, and, and they're not scoring goals. They got 29 goals. Their goals against differential is great. They've given up 39 goals, which is tied for a second in their division with Washington and Philadelphia. Seriously, they're not scoring goals. Right now, Carolina has 51 goals. Washington has 58. The Rangers got 46. Philadelphia has 41. Columbus has 48. New Jersey has 43. Pittsburgh has that much. Pittsburgh's got 49. Guess how many of the Islanders have? 29 goals. Are you going to win with 29 goals? You're not. No. And they need to find a way to put the puck in the net because if they continue to struggle like this, Lou Lamorello is going to be on the phone looking for an offensive player, maybe even earlier in the season. Yeah, they might have to at this point. Maybe even multiple, too. Maybe one guy isn't the answer. Maybe they need more depth than people realize, too. Not that the young players haven't played well, but some of the supporting cast scorers haven't been there either, even some of their veterans. Maybe playing at home is going to open up the ice for them, open up the goal scoring for them. I don't know what it is, but to me, it's alarming when you look Look at the Islanders. Being that you're traveling a lot, you're setting yourself back. You have the third worst record in the Eastern Conference when you were expected to be a Stanley Cup competitive team. A lot of people picked the Islanders to possibly be the team to come out of the East this year. How could you say that right now with the way they're fighting injury, the way they're playing? As far as the Rangers are concerned, there's really nothing to say bad about them right now. They're getting good goaltending. Team defense is playing better than they were last year. I mean, they've given up 47 goals. That's not a lot for the Rangers, but 
it's not good. You've given up the second most goals in the division. But all in all, they're scoring goals. Their differential is only negative one. And the Rangers are positioned very well. And Galan has them playing on all cylinders. They're playing team defense. I don't know if there's anything bad to say about them, except Panarin is not putting the puck in the net. Capocacco is starting to find the net. All streak, finally. <laughs> Maybe Ranger fans could be excited about that. But again, when you're looking at Panarin and Panarin's playing with Zabitajak, it's starting to get alarming that this guy can't put the puck in the net. It's an interesting thing for game planning because he is still assisting a lot. He's been more pass first this year. So see if you can maybe have him not play center necessarily, but be a more of a facilitator role for another line and maybe do split them up. Maybe maybe do try to get scoring in other areas because if you get other snipers going, like Kreider's been a great goal scorer this year. Have Which Panarin, is amazing. Yeah, Panarin and Kreider together. Maybe have Zibanejad just be on one line with some of the young guys. And then you got Strom as well that maybe you can make that kind of thing work. The biggest thing I like with the Rangers though recently is they're finally learning to win the close games. That's a big reason they were bad last year and a big reason why they were iffy at certain points in the beginning of the season. They were blowing a lot of leads. And you look at the Edmonton game where they're up 4-2 to two at the beginning of the third period. They lose 6-5. to five. The Rangers, for a young team, this is something that has to be learned. And that's the culture that Gallant's going to bring in. Gallant with Vegas. That was the big thing. They had to win close games because they were an expansion team. And they obviously went to the Stanley Cup. And then they went to Western Conference Finals in another year. So this is something that the Rangers are going to have to learn. It's good that they're doing it right now. In terms of the goal differential, that's the price of playing in a lot of these close games. And hopefully they can keep winning them. I think the Rangers have played great hockey. And like I said, goaltending has been a real high point when, when you talk about Henrik Lundqvist retiring and they're going to have his retirement party this year. Yeah. So what Sestorkin is doing right now is fantastic. Alexander Gorgiev, he's having a really good season as well. So they're getting good quality goaltending. And because of that, their defense is playing well. And when you talk about the Islanders comparing to the Rangers, the Islanders are on a completely different scale than the Rangers are. So if you're an Islander fan... You're only hoping that the Islanders are going to pick up their game now that they're going to be playing home games and hopefully start moving up in the division. And the Rangers start losing for the Islanders to try to catch up to them because the way the Islanders are playing, the way the Rangers are playing, you want to see both New York teams, including the Devils, when you get to see all three Metropolitan teams fighting for a playoff spot. I don't know if that's ever happened. My time watching. I think it's going to happen this year. And the Devils are fighting injuries too. Yeah, A lot of them. Uh So once they get Hughes back and some of their big players back, I think the Devils are going to be dangerous, too. They're playing good hockey, too. Everybody could say whatever they want about Lindy Ruff and how bad of a coach he is. He's got this young team playing on all cylinders and playing very well. Ever since they landed Hamilton, this defense has been a completely different defensive team. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest. Yes, we will be talking to Jets insider, editor-in-chief, and beat writer, Chris Nimbley, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder Peter, yes, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. By going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I love the weather. I love the winter. But when you have 60-degree weather and then all of a sudden go down all the way to 40 or 36 degrees last night, I got a little congested, a little sick. I just wanted to stay at one temperature. If it's going to be cold... Stay at cold. I don't like this back and forth weather. It's killing me, Speedy. Don't move to Colorado then. Well, Colorado when it's cold is cold. No, I, 
know, but they have the most unpredictable weather patterns. <laughs> my allergies and my congesting, but happy to be here, happy to entertain you guys. Well, I'm happy to get this guy on this show. We are now talking to the Jets insider editor and chief beat writer, Chris Nimbly. What's going on, Chris? Not much. How's it going, guys? Well, interesting, and I'm sure all the fans are going to love this interview because they can't stand the Jets. I am a Jet fan. I'm a realist Jet fan, so I don't hold back on what I think the Jets are. So before we get into the New York Jets, tell us a little bit about you. How'd you get this job as a beat writer now? Yeah, well, I've actually been covering this team for over a decade now. I started Rex's second year, the second year of the back-to-back AFC Championship run, just my first year there. I got the job interning out of college. My boss just hired me full-time. I own the website now. I've fully taken it over, but I've been covering the Jets for over a decade. I had that first year of the AFC Championship run, like, hey, this is kind of cool. And it's been all downhill since then. Downhill and is understanding. Yeah, and you're a Jets fan, so you know this. It's been tricky the last couple of years covering this team because it's not just that they've been bad for a decade plus, but they've been bad in pretty much the exact same way. This year, they're throwing a little wrinkle because the one thing they've always been really good at is defending the the run and now they're worse than the league in the run so it's a new twist but it still gets repetitive talking about the jets over these last few years it's a new twist but a bad twist so let's get into the twist of this jet team a couple of weeks ago a guy steps onto a field we're not talking about zach wilson he gets hurt so they put this guy in mike white before the season started everybody was like who's the backup quarterback they should have brought a veteran in to help this kid they bring in mike white who the hell is white Get him off the team. This guy shouldn't have even made the roster. He throws 400 and some odd yards in his first game, threw 37 for 45, threw three touchdowns, one interception, and he's the next thing since Joe Montana. So now all of a sudden, this week, Cubs, he has a bad game. And who's starting the game this week? Joe Flacco, old man Joe. So please. Explain to me what is going on with this team and why all of a sudden they decided, you know what, Mike Mike wasn't the second thing. He might not even be on the team next week. We're going to put Flacco in. So please explain to me what the hell is going on here. All right, so... I'll start here at at training camp. They're not going with any type of Joe Flacco, any type of veteran backup, because they wanted to give Zach Wilson all the reps. Mm. They wanted him to start the season and prepared. And if you're going to go that route, it is smart to give him all the first team reps. If Joe Flacco there, somebody else is there, they're going to have to get some of those reps. With Mike White and they had James Morgan at the time, nobody was clamoring for those guys to get first team reps. None of us in the media was clamoring. The fans weren't clamoring. We were all like, okay, they're going Zach Wilson. Obviously, Zach Wilson gets hurt and they're in a little bit of a pinch because they've been playing roster tricks. A little bit of a pinch? Is that what we call it now? That was the problem with their plan. I agree with the concept of wanting to give Wilson as many reps as possible, of course, but especially in today's NFL, like not many quarterbacks make it through a season without getting banged up and you don't necessarily need a backup that's going to win you a bunch of games because that's really hard to find in the nfl but you need to find a quarterback that can at least run the offense and you can evaluate the rest of the players that has to be a baseline mike white has been with the team for two years and i have seen absolutely nothing that will give me any indication that he can even run an offense efficiently that game against the Bengals, i think everyone Everyone's forgetting that they're still the Bengals. Yes, the defense is playing better. I'm not believing them. All those plays, 
Yeah, it was a statistical highlight since Vinny Testaverde, no one's thrown for that many yards. He did it by throwing the ball three yards in the air, little (laughs) dump offs running. And then once the Bills said, hey, we're going to take that away and force you to throw the ball downfield. And he threw four interceptions and it could have been eight interceptions. So as soon as a team takes away those dump offs and those underneath, Mike White has nothing for you. Hold on. Do you remember what Troy Aikman said with Joe Buck before the game? How he made Mike White... Seemed like he was the second coming to Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. He's played so well. If he plays into the game, there's no telling you what this game could be, how big the scoreboard would be. He could put up a 30 tonight. I listened to Troy Aikman. I thought he was talking about Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or somebody like that. He's talking about Mike White. I was like, what the hell Come on, Mike White used to play for the Cowboys. Of course he has to What's going on here? He's actually obligated. He was once on the Cowboys. You just describe the reason why I watch most NFL games on mute. I really don't need to be hearing stuff that's out there because I'm not one that likes to sit here and just be like, watch the tape, watch the tape. I know fans have busy lives. It's hard to sit down and watch the tape. Coming out of nowhere, no one's like, who's Mike White? Oh my God, he's throwing for 400 yards. I get getting caught up in the hype and being like, wait, this kid might be really good. But when you actually watch and it's just dump offs to Michael Carter all day, it gets a lot less impressive. And again, I've watched him two years in training camp. I've seen nothing to give me indication. <laughs> what are these fans seeing? I'm a little lost. Anybody that You're watches, normally a little lost. I'm normally a little lost, but I'm even more lost when I was listening to the fans and some of the stuff that was going on out here in New York. There were people putting Mike White tattoos on their body. I've seen a guy put it on his forearm. I saw somebody put it on his leg. Jet symbol with the number five, five yeah, white like, on the uh, bottom. Sanchez fever all over. I mean, Sanchez took the Jets to two AFC title games. Game. Yeah. At least he did something. To get another man on another man's tattoo. Uh, I, I, I mean, now it's Sanchez's who defense. The it was just Rex Ryan White? who got the tattoo. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. I have to start laughing. So, what are your thoughts so far with Zach Wilson? If the Jets were smart, I wouldn't bring him back until week 15. Let him play three games. Don't put him in harm's way because the season's a loss. I thought it was a loss after they lost Carl Lawson. Once yeah. Carl Lawson was out reading all the stars, oh, he looks like a beast on the field. Oh, he's going to be unstoppable in this defense. And then we heard the Vinnie Curry situation. He's out. He has this sickness that nobody would have thought he played healthy his whole career. And all of a sudden he has a blood sickness that he can't even play football again. Shout out to Vinnie Curry and his family. But the Jets have had no luck. Some people call it Jet Syndrome because once you become a Jet, you have the syndrome and you just fall apart in this 50-year-old woe. I, I want to see this team win. Who is Zach Wilson? Do you believe that this is the guy of the future Finally, did the Jets get it right? He wasn't at the top of my list with this draft and quarterbacks, but watching in training camp, and it was up and down training camp. He had his struggles at times, but he looked good at times. Normal for a rookie quarterback to do. But he did a couple things that I really liked. I really liked the way he moved around in the pocket. He had a good feel in camp, even though they're not really hitting. He still had a good feel, moved around. I liked the way he threw with placement. Like he would throw low and outside if he needed to. There was lots of little things that I was really impressed with as a rookie. I'm like, you seem to be a little ahead of the curve on this. As training camp was going on, I was becoming more sold on him. The season, obviously, it hasn't been great. And the only thing that's really been kind of alarming to me is his inability on these short throws. Mm -hmm. That's what Um, I say all the time, yeah. Rookie getting confused by a Bill Belichick defense. I think we can all understand that. 
I think we can all understand watching a rookie force something downfield and it not going right. You can understand throwing a pass to Corey Davis and bouncing off his hands and going for an interception. <laughs> Jets luck. Little screens and dump offs, the Mike White passes that I was just talking about, when you can't complete those, yeah. that's alarming. Now, it's just the yips. Is it something he's got to get over? Yes. He obviously has to get over it because you can't continue that especially in an offense like this that's going to rely on that. I don't think that's going to continue to be a problem. So I do still think there's a chance here. This has obviously been a really bad first year. I think his arm talent is incredible. Fantastic. He is going to have to figure out a balance of trying to go for the big play and taking what's there. You still need to be aggressive. You don't want to completely coach that out of him. So he has to find a balance there. Best arm talent in this draft. I really did believe it when I see him throughout the combine and just watching what he could do inside and out and make his throws. The velocity of his throws coming out of his hands, kind of like Josh Allen-esque. The velocity, I heard Sanders was on the field at practice. He threw the ball. It whooshed right past Sanders' head. He looked at him like he was like Superman. He never realized how hard a ball can come outside the back of the field. So At least he didn't pull off a Christian Hackenberg and hit a reporter. That's true. Christian Hackenberg. (laughs) Another winner for the Jets, by the way. But I think that this kid has something special. I just hope this is the right coaching staff that's going to develop that special ability that he might have. There was a lot of questions about LaFleur at the beginning. The Mike White game, the Josh Johnson game. This offense can work when it's executed properly. Mm. It also, at the beginning of the season, he was down on the sidelines. They kind of made an audible there because they had Greg Knapp as the passing game coordinator who mm. unfortunately died, died in a tragic yes. bike accident right before training camp. So they ended up keeping LaFleur on the sidelines because that's what Zach Wilson was more comfortable with. Now they've hired John Beck to come in as the quarterback coach. So he can be there and LaFleur can be upstairs. And I think that makes a difference because any coordinator, you have to call the game from upstairs. You have to be able to see the whole field and watch plays develop as they go. By the way, before I get to my question, big fan of the gorilla headphones painting in the background. Very, Thank you. Very unique. So, <laughs> Why does he go before me? <laughs> compliment his beard while you're at it, so my question's completely gone. Fine, you can compliment his beard. Get your own material. So in terms of the actual management of this Zach Wilson situation, they announced that Flacco is starting this week. Now, how would you approach in terms of the balance between development, you want to see him play to develop, to read defenses, to learn the offense, and having him not re-injure the PCL and the shoulder injury that he got hit up high by Lawrence Guy in the Patriots game. How do you balance that out? Do you play him out the rest of the season when he is healthy? Do you play him maybe only a certain amount of games? What do you think is the best approach for the Jets to take when he does get healthy? Number one, you start with just wait until he gets 100% healthy. This is a lost season, another Jets season. There's no need to bring him back or try to compete for anything like that. So he has to be 100% healthy. If he's 100% healthy at this point, let him play. I want to see him play, get the live reps and learn from it. You're going to have a similar situation Makai Becton coming back from his fractured kneecap. It's probably best to sit him, but when he gets back, it's going to be a couple games left in the season. But there's enough in the season left for Zach Wilson to learn on the job with actual experience, learning on the go, trying to figure these defenses out. Give him a leg up to be ready heading into next season. The season's about taking their lumps. You're going to have some good moments or not, but on defense, they're designed to take their lumps this year and hopefully get better going forward. You want to compliment his beard now? No, I'll, I'll let you do that. Hell of a <laughs> Thank beard. you. Very, Thank very you happy very that much. somebody can grow hair on this network. Very, very good. <laughs> so obviously we're all talking about Zach Wilson. The best way to compliment a young quarterback 
is to get him weapons on the outside. They try to address that with Corey Davis, whether you think he's a one or a two, it's a start. Very rarely does a wide receiver of Odell Beckham Jr.'s caliber become free in the middle of the season. It will be this coming season, offseason, he'll be a free agent. Calm down. Were the Jets interested at all? Do you want them to go get Odell Beckham Jr.? We know Odell's passed in New York. Do you see Odell coming back in that hideous green and white jersey or what? (laughs) I don't see that happening. It would be quite funny to see it play out. Also, just to see the Giants fans' reaction to that. For Jets fans to get him to come and then be good to watch Giants fans freak out, that would be an interesting sight to see. But the Jets had no interest in him, especially it doesn't make sense for them at this point. They're not going to sign him to a long-term deal. And obviously, they're not competing this year. He wouldn't have wanted to come here either. He had better options options clearly so he's choosing between the Rams and Packers he's got better options there long term they're definitely going to look to add more talent there they drafted Elijah Moore he's really coming along these last couple games he's looking really good but they're gonna add more firepower for sure I think that if somebody has a reputation I'm not somebody who's Odell's the problem with the world like a lot of other NFL media so fairly scrutinized I don't get why oh you brought up Troy Aikman before Troy Aikman said that that the Rams lost because of Odell. I He's agree a moron. With Apple doesn't he, fall far from the tree, they say, right? Yeah, he just got there. So I think Two days he of played practice. 15 snaps. But Joe Douglas isn't really looking for anybody that is even perceived to be any type of locker room problem. That's something that he's generally tried to stay away from. See? By the way, we are talking to Jets insider editor-in-chief, beat writer Chris Nimbly. This Denzel Mims thing has been the most annoying conversation I can have with any Jet fan. I don't understand why they treat this kid the way they do. I understand that supposedly he was sick all summer Losing weight and food poisoning. He lost 20 pounds. And then he had to learn the offense. And it's taking him a long time. When a guy can run, the guy six foot three can run a 40 in 4-3. A big man that can run a 4-3 can jump really, really high. Probably the highest vertical leap than any player on the team. And has good hands. Why the hell is this guy not on the field? And Corey Davis is. I'm sorry, he's a more athletic, better Corey Davis. The fact that this guy is not getting any looks, not getting any thrones, every time he's on the field and there's a play to be made, he makes it. Why isn't he playing? Alright, there's a couple of things here. Number one, Corey Davis is a big reason why he's not playing. Because the role they are envisioning Denzel Mims to have in this offense kind of belongs to Corey Davis first. And they gave him the contract and he's the veteran there. But I completely agree with you because I don't care how limited he knows the offense you can find 15 plays in that playbook where he can run that route you don't have to design a whole package for him you can pick out plays that's in the playbook and say he can run this 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 and that and whenever that play calls you can send him in there and he's too talented to not do that so it's partially the Corey Davis thing but it's also mainly was struggling on the playbook it's such a timing based offense but Also, that they're kind of using him to make an example out of. New coaching staffs tend to do this. They pick somebody that they want to make an example out of, and you better be on your P's and Q's and do everything right, exactly how I tell you to earn your playing time. I don't care that you were a second-round draft pick. They pick somebody like that to do that, and it's dumb. 
He's yeah. a kid. I don't understand this. How about the trade deadline? How many teams were reaching out to the Jets? I heard there were like seven teams that were interested in Denzel Mims. And then all of a sudden, Joe Douglas says, he's not available. And now all of a sudden, the seven teams, we want him. We're not trading him. It doesn't make sense. None of it does. If you don't like him, you don't think he can help this offense, then trade him because he would have had trade value. Oh, yes. But the longer you hold on to him and do nothing with him, he loses trade value. So by week three, it's like play him or trade him. And they kept him and he got a little bit of playing time when Corey Davis was hurt. They didn't throw him the ball at all. He's too talented to not be getting chances. They also, and Corey Davis has so many drop issues, the fumble, he's got to get chances. They also said that when they did throw him the ball with the Bengals, he dropped the ball out. Let me explain something to you guys. When you're playing in a full contact sport and you don't see the ball all season long and then you're playing significant time and you know the ball's coming to you you're gonna make mistakes the pressure is on he needs to see repetitive balls thrown to him where he knows where the balls are gonna be the contact of the sport how is he supposed to learn that in one game and then he still made some unbelievable catches in the game I just think that he could be a better player if they used him more I'm thrown off with that I actually wanted to get more into Mims it's an interesting conundrum because the Jets could have traded him. There were teams offering second round picks to get him. I think one team offering a late first. Mm. And being that he has that kind of value, and, and you're right to an extent, I think I was a little worried about him being a scheme fit initially too, because the 49ers offense with Kyle Shanahan never really had the big body type receivers. Is that the approach you would do if you're the Jets right now? Do you think the Jets have to explore trading him if they don't play him a lot? Because he did do well in a small sample size in the 2020 season. He was among the top among rookies in his sample in certain possession metrics and analytics. He was up there with Justin Jefferson and Ayuk and uh, CeeDee Lamb and guys like that. Do you think they have to trade him in the offseason or do you think they'll eventually force Mike LaFleur to play him? I don't think they have to, but I think they probably should just because I don't trust that they're going to say, let's figure out how to get this guy involved. I just don't trust that they're going to do it. What they should do, trade deadline pass, they should use the rest of this season to see what they have in him and see if they can make it work in this offense. And if they can't, then yes, before training camp starts. Trade him uh, before, trade before the draft. Yeah, before the draft. Yeah. Before the draft, before free agency, before yeah. anything. Trade him as soon as you possibly can. If you know he's not a fit in this offense, then yeah. And that's why it should have been done if they know that already. It's hard for me to conceive that he can't fit somehow in this offense. I'd be trying to make it work, but I don't think they're going to put forth the dedication that I would. So, yeah, I think the end result is going to be trade him. When I listened to him saying that he got number one type of money, he got 38. That's not a lot of money for a number one wide receiver, okay? The number one wide receivers start off making 18, 19 million. He's not making that. So for him to come out and say, well, I'm a number one, that's great. That's great confidence, Corey. You're not. You're a number two. Let's stop dreaming the dream or whatever the hell you're drinking or whatever you're smoking. Please give me well, some of the, the puff, okay? I don't know why he keeps calling himself a number one. Dude, you're not a number one. We've seen it enough. Even against the Tennessee Titans when you made the most catches, they were fantastic. But that was really Zach Wilson placing the ball in your hands. I wasn't you. I like Corey Davis. I think there's a lot of Tennessee Titan fans that are now Jeff fans telling me, wait and see, wait and see. I've seen enough of Corey Davis. I know what he is. He's a Decker type of player. He's a good player. He's not the guy that's going to be a Brandon Marshall type of player that can change a game by himself. He's not that guy. Yeah, I agree.
just a little thrown off with what the Jets are as a team. I feel bad for the man. He has to cover the Jets all year long. That's got to be. No, it's not, it's that's not. a grueling job. Oh, stop. That's terrible. That it can be. Unconstitutional it it honestly can be. How about being a Jet fan as long as I have? That's torture well, that, that You signed up for that. Yeah. That just makes you crazy. Because I've seen a lot of bad football. So right, and you continue that to you, stay. You don't ever leave your team. Hold no, on. Nobody you leaves your team. Do you understand the definition of insanity is doing the same thing you and expecting a different You don't leave your result? team. You're called a front runner, okay? I'm not a front runner. Well, stop telling me to be a front runner then. I'm not. No, we're not Evan Perlmutter. You can go and be a different fan somewhere else. Sell your fanhood like the others. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not Evan Perlmutter. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to sell my fanhood for $3,000 on eBay. Saying, okay, $3,000 for something that does not exist fan. is a hell of a bargain. Give me a break. The New York Jets. And their best player, I think, is Marcus May at this point. Mm. Obviously, he's had an unfortunate end to his season. Now Jets aren't going to need him. How do you he's the best player on the team? How it's do you arguable him, C.J. Mosley, or... It's, it's not arguable. I, I would say C.J. Mosley is the best player on the team. Jay At Mosley, some point, you would think it's Quinton Williams. I, I he, he will be, I think, at the end of next year. Not right now. I just, I don't know what's going on with him. He disappears in games. I'm no, lost that's with why that, he's too. Right. I don't understand that. Why isn't his brother not playing, too? He looked awesome, and he's not on the field. That's another stupid move by the Jets. Why would you bring him in? He's playing unbelievable football, and then all of a sudden, you know what? We got a guy coming back. Because you're the back. Jets. Jared Davis is coming back. We're just going to put him on the bench and play Jared David. Yeah, real smart. Why? Because you paid him? Marcus May, I think, is their best player defensively, at least. Well, probably for the whole team. That's not saying much. He's obviously got this big contract dispute with the Jets. Do you have any updates on where they are? Are they close? Are they far apart? Is he staying? He's going? They are not close. They have not been close for a while. Going into the season, the Jets weren't trying to pay him a ton of money guaranteed going forward. He's going to be 30 soon. It's just bad timing, really, for him because he came into this league as an older player already. So by the time he's up with the franchise tag, he's going to be hitting 30. So for him, I thought the best thing for him is just ride out the franchise tag and then sign a two or three year deal with whoever pays you the most money, some playoff team. But he's had not only the injury, but he had the DUI that he lied about and didn't tell anybody about. So I don't know how to quantify what that's going to do. And the NFL, there's a lot of teams who aren't going to even care. So I don't even know that that's going to factor in at all. The injury is going to obviously be more of a concern. The biggest problem for him is the point of the year where he got hurt and the Achilles injury. This injury is lasting into next season. He's not going to be ready for training camp. So that's going to already put a dent in the contract. He's most likely looking at another one-year contract type of prove-it deal to try to go and get a two- or three-year deal the next cycle around. I think he's going to get $40 million. If the Jets were being nice to him because he's been a good Jet and a good leader for the Jets, and Achilles injuries too is... He's not going to be the same player either, especially at 30. A guy like Carl Lawson, that guy's workout plan is ridiculous. He's like a Peterson type of workout plan. He'll be 27 next year. I believe him to come back strong and beastly next year. I think the Jets are going to get themselves the player that they thought he was going to be. And they got him on the cheap, too, by the way. Marcus May is not making any money. You guys missed Jamal Adams yet? No. Thank God. That guy. Thank God. Yeah. How good is the defense over there in Seattle, by the way? Also, seventh overall draft pick next year Mm. coming up. Yes. By the way, that also helps the Jets, too. That they got two top ten picks that could really set and solidify that team for a very long time. 
I told you what I think Seattle's doing. Seattle's going to hit a rebuild button. They pretty much have to at this point, especially if Russ is going to leave, which it feels like he's going to force his way out after this year. Now, where does he want to go, Chris? That list he gave was crazy to Yeah, me. it's going to go where they think they're going to get the most back for him. He's talking about the Giants. Wherever the Giants, he goes is a playoff. The team. Giants is yeah. an interesting place. I just don't think the Giants are going to give Seattle their future for him. That's not the way the Giants work. It might say Dave Gettleman's job. Gettleman's gone. No matter it what. It depends when this trade happens. <laughs> it, he's gone no matter what. Yeah, I'm not going to be upset if he Gettleman gets will fired. Be they're, gone. Not gonna, they're not going to let him make that trade and then get rid no. of him. <laughs> That's what I'm I think it might make nah. save his job. Gettleman is gone, and I believe Joe Judge, unfortunately, because he's in the middle of this, he will be gone with That'd Mr. Gettleman. No, it's not stupid. I think that's the way it goes, and that's the way an organization works. And I think Mara is not going to make a move where they're going to have to trade away their future for one guy. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to help them win a championship any quicker. Trust me. Hey, let's be back with the Patriots or one of the Patriot protégés. <laughs> Probably. Before we let you go, we really appreciate you joining us. We want you to come on again. Last question. I really was looking at Robert Sala to really change this organization. I still do in some kind of way. What alarms me right now about Robert Sala is he's not fully taking the blame of this team. I don't really think he's put the blame on the team's unsuccessful defense so far. I'm talking a historic defense. This was one of the best defenses in the league, top 10 defenses in the league. And then all of a sudden, after the Bengals game, I don't know what happened. This defense went kaput. They're putting up 45s. This is the second worst defensive four games we've ever seen in NFL history. To me, the Jets are breaking more bad records. I don't want to hear bad records come from my team. So... Robert Sala has not really come out. Rex Ryan has come out and said what he feels about the team. I think it's very funny what he said. But that's sexy Rexy. We know what Rex does when he's here. He likes to make a splash. Why not in the media make even more of a splash? And then Robert Sala comes out and says, I don't even know this guy. If he wants to meet me, we'll talk in person, man to man. Like kind of like in his own little way threatening him. Why don't you come down and come and talk to me the right manly way? But I think it's very, very funny. It's great media here. It's definitely something that people are talking about. Robert Sala, is he the guy? Do you think he's the guy? Because I want to believe he is, but we thought Rexy was the guy. And five years later, he wasn't the guy. The whole Rex Sala thing, it's classic Rex. I was definitely surprised at Sala saying, come find me. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought he would have just kind of brushed it aside, but <laughs> come find me. I would suggest Rex not come find him because Rex <laughs> is losing that fight. It is ironic because the thing Rex got offended because he was like, don't compare this guy to me. And it was like a couple people in the media drew a comparison because you both get excited about stuff on the sidelines mm. and your defensive coach. Coaches. That's it. There's no other comparison there. These are completely different situations that he walked into and Rex walked into. So I think Sala was a little put off by that. But one way that they are similar, and this is the biggest reason why I do still believe in Sala, is people follow that man. These players love him and they want to follow him. That's not enough alone that didn't work out for Rex in the end Belichick's hated by people and worked for him so there's different ways to go about it but also his defense in San Francisco when he took over struggled at first this defense was always going to struggle too they started the this, this season with the plan to start multiple undrafted rookies mm-hmm. all training camp were asking what about a veteran corner we can go get a veteran corner to try to tread water or we can take our lumps with young guys that we want to develop and think can be something down the road. And that's the path that they chose. 
And then on top of that, injuries are a part of the NFL. We know that. But their entire starting safety unit is out. LaMarcus Jordan didn't even get to play a snap. They played a couple games without an entire starting linebacker core. And also the defensive line, as good as it is, there is a flaw in this scheme. There's a flaw in every scheme. This scheme, they asked the interior of the defensive linemen to just attack, just penetrate and attack, which can lead to open running lanes if your linebackers don't know what they're doing yeah. and can't cover that up. Yeah. And you have, aside from C.J. Mosley, a bunch of young and experienced and not that great linebackers there. It's been like a perfect storm that's just led to this. So I do still have faith in him, although the Denzel Mims thing... There are a couple things that are popping up that I'm like, that's a little bit of cause and concern. But overall, I'm a believer, and I think year two will look much, much better. I could only hope as a Jet fan because yes. it can't look any worse. And I think as far as the corner is concerned, it looks like the Jets are falling in position where a lot of people believe they're going to draft the LSU corner. There's a lot of draft boards that are saying that the Jets, if he does fall to the Jets, that's who they're going to gun for. Even though they're young corner, they have a good a bunch of young corners, but you get a guy that's a revolutionized type of corner that can do that. We all know Darrell Revis. We know what he did with the organization and with that team when you had a guy that could shut down one side of the field, so who knows? I don't know if that's where they go. Maybe they go offensive line, but we really appreciate you joining us, Chris. By the way, you're great. Uh, you're just a good personality, and you got some set of hair uh, as far as the beard is concerned. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. And you can check out the website and the work at JetsInsider.com. Thank you so much, Chris. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Speedy will reach out to you. We're definitely going to get you on again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Nimbly. I'm sure everybody enjoyed, every Jet fan enjoyed what he had to say. He was joking a little bit with us, too, because I'm sure he wanted to keep in what he really felt about this team and where this team is going. All in all, uh, he gave us some good information. We're going to get him on the show again. Cracking up hard over by Christian Hackenberg joke, too. Well, I mean, <laughs> Christian Hackenberg, disgrace. I mean, the joke right themselves. To really look at the past of Jets quarterbacks that they've drafted, the best one was the Butt fumbler. Mark Sanchez. Say whatever you want about Mark Sanchez, who's now working on Fox. Working yeah, on college right now. football analyst. Yeah. yeah, And he does ESPN for the NFL. Seriously. Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into football. We'll get into week 11. Our three-for-all picks as I am slowly but surely pushing away from speed. You're up by three. That's right. Three is better than zilch. I'm just kicking butt and taking names. So when we come back, we'll do our free-for-all. We'll get into Week 10 and Week 11 games, and we'll get into the Giants as well here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to Chris Nimbley. He was awesome. Definitely gave us even more agita 
to think about the New York Jets. He agreed with practically everything we said. This team could be good next year. They have two first-round draft picks, and if Seattle loses this week, that could really put the Jets in a position to get nothing less than a 12th pick in the first round, where the Jets could go after whoever they want from really 1-5. to If I were the Jets, I would absolutely go after an offensive lineman. If they get the third or second pick, get the kid Neal from Alabama. Solidify that offensive line. You'll never have to worry about that offensive line for a very long time. Your left tackle, your right tackle, and your future guard. This is what the Cowboys did building around the offensive line through the offense. I think that's what the Jets need to do. I don't know if that's what Joe Douglas will do. Maybe they go after the corner from LSU. Stingley, he's a shutdown corner. A Darrell Revis type of corner. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Jets. They still have $40 million that they can spend in the offseason. So if they want to go after a star wide receiver, they already brought in Corey Davis. Whoopee! Oh, yeah, star. I mean, he thought he was a star. He thought he was a number one. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he thought he was a star when he was somehow drafted fifth overall, projected at most like a late first-round pick. We don't know what the Jets are going to do in the offseason. By the way, Joe Douglas, everybody says, well, what has he done? If you look at his drafts, his drafts have been good. Elijah Moore looks like he's going to be a player. Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be a player. Makai Beckham is a player. All the corners, they look like they could be players. They're the youngest team in the NFL, and we have to see what Zach Wilson is. We have to see if he got it right with Zach Wilson, which we have seen GM after GM get it wrong. So if he got it right with Zach Wilson, the Jets are going to be positioned very, very well for the future, especially with the draft stock that they have. Carolina, Cam Newton doesn't win for them and makes this team fall out of the playoffs. They're going to have a very high second-round pick for Sam Darnold. They're going to have a very early second-round pick for themselves and could be an early second-round pick for Carolina. Who's licking their lips better than the Jets right now? You should be very excited, if you're a Jet fan, what Joe Douglas can do and how he can dominate in the draft. Why don't we get into week... 10 with Kansas City. Kansas City needed that game. I look at where the divisions are. The AFC is so very close. There's so many 5-4 five and four teams. 5-5 five and five teams. Or 5-3-1 and one in the case of the Steelers. Because <laughs> they decided to tie with the Lions. Well, I told you. <laughs> I picked the Lions to win that game. And I think the Lions are going to play a good game this week with Jared Goff and what this coaching staff is doing. They're finding their range. I think Jared Goff is a good quarterback. I don't know how good is he going to be. No, this might be a ceiling, but at least He could be a second-tier quarterback. And you can win with a second-tier quarterback if you have all the other players on the other side of the Yeah, well, that's what Detroit still needs. They need a lot of it. They have Swift is nice, Hawkinson is nice, a couple good offensive linemen, but not much else. The Jets were very much embarrassed. We talked about that with Chris. And the Jets have given up second most points any team since 1970 in the last four games. 40-point games. The Patriots that. and the Bills yes. both got it. The Colts got 40. They didn't play then, the Patriots last the week before. No, that. but it's in the four-game span. It was the Patriots, then it was the Bengals. They won, but they still allowed 31 points. Yeah. And then it was the Colts, and then it was the Bills. This is a team that has a very good defensive team. You have C.J. Mosley. You have Quinton Williams. This team was supposed to be a highly profiled defensive team with Robert Sala there and the way they built this team. But this defense, this front seven, has not stopped the run. And this has been a huge problem for the Jets, which has been a strength of the Jets yeah. year in and year out, which makes absolutely no sense. Quentin Williams, and they brought in Rankins to stop the run. I have no idea. Rankins, the outside. <laughs> it's just been horrible. And maybe Carl Lawson has affected them. The position where the Jets are is not good. But I think a lot of Jet fans should be looking for next year, not this year. This team is not going to make the playoffs, being that they're 2-7. and seven. As far as the Giants are concerned, this is a big week for the Giants. Because if the Giants could win this game, I know they only have three wins. They're coming off a bye week. They're coming off two wins out of three. Blowout against the Panthers. They beat the Raiders the way they did. And they hung tough with the Chiefs. So they played well the last three games. They have. You just got to hope the bye week doesn't hinder that. And and I know Giant fans want Gettleman out, but you can't fire Gettleman if the Giants are playing well. If they could go into Tampa Bay 
and beat Tom Brady and that Buccaneers team, that's going to say a lot of where the Giants are. And I know they're still a long ways away of making the playoffs, but that wild card spot is still very much open because San Francisco hasn't played well. Seattle hasn't played well. That is a very open possible spot for the New York Giants. And if they could sneak into the playoffs with that defense and the way Daniel Jones is playing, and everybody's going to say, Daniel Jones hasn't played well. Look at his numbers. Numbers are deceiving. That's the problem with a lot of fans. Oh, he had 180 yards last week. They still won. It doesn't matter how many yards he threw. Look at Mac Jones. Mac Jones is doing so well for the New England Patriots. They won on Thursday Night Football. Completely dominated on Thursday Night Football against the Falcon team. 25-0. You look at what Mac Jones has done. It's been Amazing. He's getting an average of 180 to 210 yards a game. And they're still winning. He's still getting the touchdowns. He's still getting the touches. And he's still helping his team win. It doesn't matter how many yards you throw. It matters if you win and you help your team win. And by the way, Daniel Jones is doing it right. Giant fans who have been shutting him down and saying that he's not the guy. There's really nothing bad to say about him. He doesn't have a good offensive team. They have no running game. And when Saquon Barkley is in the lineup, he's not running the ball very well. Their backup running back is running better than Saquon Barkley. Yes. And Gotta love the Devontae Booker revenge game against the Raiders. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the Giants have looked pretty damn good. With the wild card now getting a lot weaker in not only the, the last spot, but even the second to last spot, too. The Saints are 5-4. and four. They lost two straight. Alvin Kamara is going to be at another week. I think they're losing Ryan. Ramchick this week, so they might lose to the Eagles too, and the Eagles are right in the mix. you got the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Panthers. So these are all teams that the Giants can compete with, and if they play like they did the last three weeks and win these close games and obviously blow out the Panthers the way they did, that could definitely make a difference. Now, they still have some tough games on their schedule. Buccaneers this week is they still have to play the Chargers, and they still have to play two games in division against everybody except for Washington. Would I favor them over a team like the 49ers or the Vikings? No, but they're definitely winning closer games, and their defense has played a lot better too which is a good sign they're not allowing as many big plays they're getting pressure on the quarterback they're even getting pressure with guys that they weren't in the beginning of the season it was mainly just Ojalari and Lawrence now they're actually getting pressure from even some of the backup linebackers too which is good to see and if that continues they could definitely compete and Daniel Jones definitely has been carrying that offense because these receivers have been dropping passes Evan Ingram doesn't know what he's doing the offensive line's been banged up all year they're getting Andrew Thomas back hopefully this week if not next week which is good thank god that Matt Pert won't have to play, and Nate Solder won't have to play left tackle. So there's two wild card spots that are definitely open between a lot of average teams right now. I would probably still favor the Vikings and 49ers, but if the Giants keep playing like this, they could definitely make a run. I think the Giants have played very good football, and I, I still think that the Giants could make it, especially how weak the bottom feed of the NFC is. It's very top-heavy. You know the four or five teams that are going to be fighting for position, and that sixth spot is open. If they can win this week and surprise Tampa, and by the way, Tampa hasn't played well. They last two games. They've played very weak, and their opponents haven't been that great either. I look at Tampa. They're still open to be beaten. Maybe because of JPP's injuries this year or injuries they have in their secondary, Tampa is absolutely beatable. There is no foregone conclusion that this one team, NFC or AFC, is going to the Super Bowl. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Throughout this past week, the teams that really surprised me, the Patriots are playing great football, 7-4. and four. They just rammed the Falcons. And the Browns. And the Browns. 45-7. to seven. They've given up seven points in two games. 
and they've scored with defensive touchdowns, I think, 21. And you look at the big picture and where the Patriots are positioning themselves, the way the Buffalo Bills are playing, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots take over first place in the East. I know Buffalo is starting to pick up the pace and pick up their game, but they've laid up a bunch of duds. As good as Josh Allen has looked when they have played at the top of their game, there are two games, especially against the Jaguars, where you couldn't put any points on the board. I know the Jaguars play good defense. The Jaguars are not They're not Saxonville of 2017. (laughs) They're not an all-world defense. You not score any touchdowns in that game. That's alarming to me. Are you going to go into the playoffs in a big game? We've seen Josh Allen in big games completely lay up lousy goose eggs. These young quarterbacks that have not shown anything in the playoffs. Pat Mahomes has. Look at the teams Pat Mahomes has played for. And that's why a lot of people believe in Pat Mahomes. Now they're in first place. They're 6-4. and Who would have thought that Kansas City in their first 10 games would have four losses? Maybe their offensive line figures it out. Maybe they don't lose another game this year. They're going to have to solve a lot of other issues, though, because they still don't have much of a running game. And their defense stinks. Their defense is really weak over the middle of the field, especially. And their secondary, this played a little better in recent. We know Spagnuolo's always been a blitz-happy guy anyway, but still, if you have to blitz to overcompensate a lot of the time for a bad secondary, it's still not going to be a good matchup, especially against the Ravens, which Lamar can extend the plays. He can run. And even the Bills, too. Josh Allen has got great mobility, throw on the run ability. If that's the matchup they have to face in the playoffs, that could be harder for them. So even though you're right, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen both have had their woes, it's still going to still favor a more complete team that could do more, especially in the Ravens case too. And I think this is why I would have them as the favorite even over the Bills right now. They've had games where they've Lamar has been actually throwing in high volume too. It used to be Lamar was efficient. He could throw occasionally. With I don't trust play. Josh Allen and I don't trust Lamar Jackson. And those probably are the two favorites to come those out are, of the NFC Those are the right most now. complete teams and the reason I would just slightly favor the Ravens is because Lamar has done it in volume this year with all the running back injuries they've had with iffy receivers. Mark Andrews was hurt a couple games. He's actually done it with more passing volume rather than just efficiency alone. And that's why I think maybe he can take another step. The step that they've taken this year, especially in winning the close games and even winning in shootouts, which is not normally the Ravens way. That would lead me to believe they're the slight favorite right now over the Bills. Bill fans. Don't go crazy beating the Jets 45-17. I have a bunch of Bills fans telling me, oh, we're back. Are you kidding me? Put the brakes on. If you think you guys are back because you beat the New York Jets, I don't know what the hell you're watching. Play better against better opponents. The same thing with Baltimore players and Baltimore fans. You haven't beaten anybody good. You beat Kansas City in the beginning of the season. They're not good. When you start beating good teams... Then you brag and you talk about what you've been talking about all season long. And Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, I do not trust. As far as the Titans are concerned, I give them a lot of credit. Losing Derrick Henry was a huge blow. A lot of Titan fans, they believe Derrick Henry's coming back this year. It's possible. He's not coming back. That injury is a significant injury. He's getting surgery. The guy weighs... 245 pounds. The weight on his legs. I said that about Saquon Barkley when the Giants drafted him. The only reason why the Giants should not have drafted him is because they're not ready to win. The Giants were far from that. They added Saquon Barkley. He hasn't stayed healthy. Now all of a sudden, Derrick Henry. This is his first major big injury. Now he's been hurt before, but this is a major injury. I don't know if Derrick Henry is ever going to come back the same because you don't know how he reacts. He is not Adrian Peterson. By the way, is the running back for the Titans now. Adrian Peterson tore his ACL and MCL. He came back in six months. Nobody comes back in six months after a tear like that. Breaking records, trying to break Eric Dickerson's Eight yards short, so close. Fantastic to see a player come back from an injury that significant and do what he did. Adrian Peterson is not the same AP. Even though I think he was a good pickup for the Titans. The answer is... Is Ryan Tannehill the guy that's going to take you to the promised land? And I just 
don't trust Ryan Tannehill. I don't know if he is ready to take this team all the way to a Super Bowl. They were my pick to go to the Super Bowl with Derrick Henry. The way he runs the ball with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown getting healthy at the end of the season. Shout out to A.J. Brown coming out with the depression problems that he has had. Talking about Elijah Moore, how important he has been to him and helping him out with his depression. It's an amazing story when you talk about a player that's become successful in the league and talks about it and very open to it and wants to help other people. It's not easy coming out like that. It took Ricky Williams such a long time to come out with his problem. It's not easy to do those things and have people look at you the same. Dak Prescott did it last year. Now you're seeing a lot of other athletes do it, which is awesome to see for sure. Dak is a special specimen. Uh, The trials and tribulations this man has gone through and the innocence player that he has been for everybody's laughter. Jerry Goff, Carlson Wentz. These guys were the top quarterbacks in that draft class. Lonesome Dove, Dak Prescott was drafted in the fourth round and to me has been far and along the best quarterback in that class. He's been the most consistent and he has been through so much trials and tribulations with his mom's death, his brother's suicide, having that leg turned back the other way and people thought his career was over. Having multiple surgeries on that leg, which people didn't know until Hard Knocks. It's a sensational story. Are you watching Hard Knocks of Indianapolis? It's the first time they're having a Hard Knocks. Yeah, I was surprised to see they're doing that. Wouldn't that be kind of a distraction? No, if it works, it'll have a lot of players and a lot of teams wanting to do it. And it opens up money and it brings in revenue for the NFL, which pays more players more money with the new CBA Oh, I understand that. It just feels like a distraction. <laughs> I, I think it is. Them. But look who they're following. Indianapolis. Are they that scary? Come on, seriously. Still surprised that they would kind of take that thing on. Because I'm sure Indianapolis thought they still had good expectations at the beginning of the season. Remember, they took it on August. Our free-for-all picks of the week. Speedy. We'll start this week with the NFC North rivalry. The Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. The over-under is 49. So I'm going to take the Packers in this one. The Vikings have played close games. Seeming like every single game this season. So they won last week. I think they'll lose this week. And the Packers, they've proven a lot, especially defensively. They've been very impressive amidst all the injuries they've had this year. They've lost Jair Alexander much of the year. Zadarius Smith at the beginning of the year. They just lost Whitney Merciless, who's supposed to replace Zadarius Smith. Now he's out for the season. So they've overcome injuries and done it very well. Give a lot of credit to Joe Barry in that defense. Aaron Rodgers coming back with a vengeance. I think he'll play well in this game. Not his typical self, but he'll play well enough. Packers win on the under. I think this is going to be a fun game. I think Kirk Cousins is going to have to play one of those games that are for the ages. He's going to have to throw 380 yards. He's going to have to throw three or four touchdowns to Thielen. Dalvin Cook plays a big part of keeping the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. If he does that, I think the Vikings can win. But even though with Aaron Rodgers coming back last week, he didn't have one of his great games. I think this week it's going to be even better. I think he's going to be able to throw against his Viking team. I think he's going to be able to throw them off. He's going to go into Minnesota and completely dominate. Give me the Green Bay Packers on the under. All right, next game, kind of a must win for both of these teams. The Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders. The over-under is 50. I am going to take the Raiders. I think it'll be a close game. I'm definitely taking the over on this one because I think this is a high-scoring game. Both of these defenses, the Raiders have played well, but they're still not overly talented. The Bengals have played better than expected, but still not overly talented. I think both these QBs play well in this game. Derek Carr's a little better in the close game. Not that Burrow's bad. The Bengals secondary, I don't trust as much. And the Raiders receiving depth, even without rugs, has been okay. I think Darren Waller will have a huge game as well. So I'll take the Raiders close one definitely on the over though. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Raiders in this game and they haven't played well. The rugs things, the John Gruden things. I have to give the owner a lot of credit because he's been trying to take out the fire 
in Vegas, but it's hard. I think this is the Bengals game to win. This is a very big game for Joe Burrows. If they want to make the playoffs, they got to make a statement. Cleveland looks like they're in a gutter. Pittsburgh is starting to, I don't know, flop. The only team they have to really worry about is Baltimore. I think they can absolutely catch up to Baltimore and compete with Baltimore for the division. I like their wide receiving core. I think they're going to be explosive in this game. Give me the Bengals on the over. Final game, Dallas Cowboys at the Kansas City Chiefs. The over-under is 56, and Amari Cooper now out. He has COVID-19. I'll take the Chiefs in this game. I, I would have taken me if Cooper was playing because I think more feature game that they're built for. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. The Cowboys' defense has been pretty good, but still, again, has regressed in recent weeks. And I think the Chiefs, with Andy Reid and that scheme, will be able to game plan away from Trayvon Diggs a little more. And the Cowboys, I don't think they have the middle of the field to be able to handle against Kelsey. And the Chiefs' defense, while it's been still bad, is I think will play a little better. And especially with no Cooper, I think it'll be even harder. So I'll take the Chiefs on the under. Really, on the under? On the under, yeah. You just I, said it was a high-scoring game. Now you can take it on the 56 is a pretty high spread. I really wanted the Cowboys to win this game, and hearing Amari Cooper, that definitely affects. You have the Badger taking one of the other guys out, so you're really only going to be worrying about either Gallup or C.D. Lamb. So they can run against the Chiefs, and I think Ezekiel Elliott's going to have a big game, and so is Pollard. I'm going to go with the Chiefs in this game, too. I think the Chiefs need this game. I think being that they're home, they're going to have the advantage. I think the Chiefs will win. And being that it's 56 on the over, I'm going to take them on the under. We take in one game difference. So you might. So I, can I gain one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you gain one point. Come on, Raiders. You let me down last week. Think of the win by double digits against the Chiefs, and that didn't help. This is a very big game for the Bengals, too, because I think the Bengals are a playoff team. I think they're dangerous, too. If they could sneak into the playoffs with Joe Burrows, those weapons, and their defense has played pretty well this year. Well, I Eli mean, Apple's still a starting corner for them. So. Well, that's a problem. I know you laugh because he's an ex-Giant, and I don't know why you hate him so much. Because he's not good. He's not bad. He's above average. I would say he's above no. average. He's had one one good stretch at the, when he first came to the Saints. That's really it. I don't think he's good. He's above average. He's an everyday player, so to me, he's above average. Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, baseball. There's so many talks with the New York Yankees, but they haven't done anything. What is Brian Cashman waiting to do? Maybe he's trying to sneak something, and we've seen this with the Yankees in the offseason. Maybe they signed Correa and Freeman, and nobody would even expect it. There are pitchers still available, even though they were going after Verlander. He re-signs with the Astros. Not surprised about that. And the Mets... Uh-oh, Noah is gone. He's out. Thor is now playing for the Angels. Takes a $25 million contract, a, a huge contract, one-year deal to prove it with the Angels. What are the Angels this year, and what should the Mets do with a new GM here on the weekend? We are back, ladies and gentlemen, another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Catch-A-Guru Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or you can go to Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. We have great shows, great community of sports radio fans. Follow us on our social medias, read our stories, and watch our shows live. Listen to the replay and watch the clips. Check out our app. It's a wonderful app. If you're an Islander fan, it was a beautiful night, packed house. If you're an Islander fan, you should be happy that the Islanders are back home. As far as baseball is concerned, I want to get into the Mets first. A story came out that Noah Syndergaard will not be extending his proposal with the New York Mets. He decided to take a $25 million offer one year with the Angels. I am not surprised with this. Here's the problem. They were expecting Noah last year to come back and be their savior, be that 
other guy. The trade that they made with the Indians, bringing in another pitcher. They thought that this pitching staff was going to be the best pitching staff in baseball. Jacob DeGrom couldn't last the season. Marcus Stroman started off strong, ended very weak. You look at this pitching rotation now, which was their strength, has become a weakness. Now, losing Noah Syndergaard, it's not a good sign. I listened to Steve Cohen's money and his riches. Nobody even wanted this GM job. The thought right now, just like with the Knicks, with Dolan, Cohen is going to have to over-exude his money to players that want to come and play here because they don't want to play here because they don't want to play for Steve Cohen. They might not want to play for this management. They bring in this guy, Epler. He worked for the Yankees for 10 years. He was a part of that Yankee dynasty. And then he went to the Angels. He was a big part of the Otani signing. I don't know if this was a great pick for the New York Mets, but nobody else wanted the job. Hopefully he stays away from texting people and going out drinking. I'm not a huge fan of it. There are positives. He spent money with the Angels, so the Mets are all in now being a big market team. Now, if Steve Cohen starts doing James Dolan things and overpaying Joakim Noah, yeah, then there's going to be a problem. The Angels, a lot of bad signings between Josh Hamilton and C.J. Wilson. Albert Pujols giving him the big contract. That doesn't work out. There are a lot of downsides to it. They haven't been able to build a farm system around Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. It's really hindered the Angels. They only have one playoff appearance in the past decade. In terms of Epler, I, hopefully he doesn't make a lot of those same mistakes that he did with the Angels, but it does prove that he, between him and Cohen, that the Mets will be more willing to spend money. Will they make smart contracts? That's the question. And in terms of Syndergaard, I wouldn't have given him that money. I don't mind losing him for $25 million. I wouldn't have given him that kind of money. He still has to prove it a lot off of the, all these injuries that he's had. And even just his development as a pitcher, he has good stuff and he doesn't use it a lot of the time. He, all these pitches that he just relies on his velocity too much. So I don't think he really grew as the pitcher and he hasn't taken that next step. So I don't mind them getting rid of him. I'd rather get them more in quantity. Rasco was hurt. Then they had to rely on Tyler McGill and David Peterson who was down last year. The Mets might need two guys that are maybe average or like just veteran guys that are solid rather than try to get one flashy guy. Especially with the bullpen struggling with depth, that might be more, more necessary, especially if DeGrom doesn't come back the same. And obviously, he might not come back the same like he did last year. He was on a historic pace, but he even regresses to where he's like only a top 10 pitcher instead of the best in baseball, which he has been the last three years. So there are some things that are promising with Epler. Not what I would have done. Again, the Mets really don't have a choice at this point. There are limited options, but I'm not crazy about it. Omar Manaya would have been my pick. I know Omar Manaya has been in this position with the Mets before. I know Sandy Alderson is not a big fan of Omar Manaya. Omar Manaya knows how to draft. Omar Manaya knows how to find talent. He was a good GM for the Mets. I think he weighed out his welcome with the New York Mets. They didn't even interview him. I think the Mets really dropped the ball on this because nobody else wanted the job. How many ex-Yankee executives did they talk to from other different teams? They asked the lady who was working for the Yankees for 15 years. Women are now becoming GMs. As you saw, Derek Jeter brought in a GM with the Marlins. Now you're seeing women get jobs at these prominent positions. She came from the Yankees. There was another woman. They offered her the yeah, job. Yeah, from the Red Sox. She didn't want the job. I think when you look at the position for the Mets, I don't know what this team is. To me, Steve Cohen needs to really open up his pockets this offseason because there's no way he's going to be able to bring Javier Baez back without paying him. You bring in Epler out of all the GMs, 30 GMs, if the agents have not seen all this happen for the New York Mets, they don't even know who their coach is going to be, their manager's going to be. Please no Brad Ausmus. The best way to move on this is probably Buck Walter right now. I want Mike Schilt. Yeah, but it's not going to happen. The two guys, the two names that have popped out is Ausmus and Buck Showalter. So if you're going to hire somebody, hire Buck. Buck knows how to develop players. We've seen him do it with Baltimore. He's weighed out his welcome everywhere he's gone, but maybe wins a World Series. He hasn't won a World Series, and he 
anywhere else he went. He went to Texas, built that team, walked away, and that team went all the way to the World Series twice. I think Buck knows how to station and build teams. He did it with the Yankees. I think Buck would be a good fit over there. He's a good baseball mind. He's a veteran, and I think he can get the best out of these young players. Do not go after Osmus. It will set their team back because I just don't see this team being as competitive with Osmus than Buck Showalter. For all the Mets fans that don't know the talent that Brad Osmus got to coach, let's start with Detroit. They had at one point Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, Cabrera, Prince Fielder. Then after they traded Prince Fielder, Ian Kinsler, Austin Jackson, Johnny Peralta. And then go to the Angels where you get to Albert Pujols, Mike Trout. That guy couldn't get anywhere close to the playoffs? That's I mean, the guy that's a finalist to be a manager? Please, Buck, no. I think Buck's going to win the job. I think it's smart. You bring in Epler, work with the Yankees. He has his ties with Buck Showalter. I think the best move for him to do is, is to bring in Buck. Let Buck run this team. I think Buck will do a great job for the Mets. I think he'll get him in the playoffs next year. We've seen him do this, especially teams that are ready to go. This has become a Yankees organization. If that's Ep- the one upside I could hope for with Epler. Maybe he took some good tips from the Yankees because they know how to do develop players well, find gems, create a consistent winner. So hopefully the Yankee side of Epler comes out more than the Angels. No, definitely. As far as the Yankees are concerned, a lot of Yankee fans are sweating. Verlander is gone, but they weren't going to give him $25 million. No. I think the only teams that would have are the Astros and his former team, the Tigers, I heard, were huge on him too. I think Freeman, I think they need to look at bullpen help. I think there's still a lot of good bullpen arms available, and I think they really need to bring in at least two or three of them starting pitching. They have Severino for a full season coming back. Cole obviously was a Cy Young candidate this year. Second half was horrible. Hopefully that changes. It was really just the last month was horrible, and that really set it back. Because him and Ray were really close, neck and neck, until the last month. I mean, I've been hearing that they have ties with Ray. And Rob Ray could be a guy that the Yankees could be interested in bringing in. That's not bad. Ray with Cole, Savarino, and some of the young pitchers that they have over there. I I mean... That could solidify their pitching staff. I don't know if the Yankees are going to go out and spend a lot of money. Ray won the Cy Young this year. Yeah, he's going to want a he's lot. He's going to want a lot of money. The Blue Jays just gave Barrios his contract, so we'll see if they do it they're with not, Ray, too. No, they're not re-signing Ray. Uh, Barrios was the guy. They made the trade for Barrios because they knew they weren't going to be able to re-sign Ray. And Ray's going to want a lot of money. You're talking about probably between $150 and $180 million. Are the Yankees willing to pay him? Are they willing to solidify their pitching staff? If you bring in Rob Ray, you probably do have the best pitching staff in the American League. Yeah, I like that move for the Yankees, too, because he's always been a good strikeout pitcher, and you need those types of pitchers in Yankee Stadium, and across so many American League East band boxes, you're going to need that type of pitcher. Now, is he going to have that kind of Cy Young year again? Probably not. No. But 14, he's, 15 he's, wins always been, he's always been a steady mid-low three ERA guy and a lot of strikeouts. And again, he's a little streaky throughout his career. He's been bumped around so many different teams with Detroit and Arizona, and I think that kind of pitcher is exactly what the Yankees need, and being that he's older, 30-something years old, he's not going to cost a lot. You only have to give him probably a three-year deal. He's probably going to want to max out maybe a four-year deal because it's his last Oh, if they only have to sign him three, four years, they give him, you right. pay him $100 million. Sure. He really played very well here in the American League. He's been in the American League East. Hey, listen, if the Yankees could get him for $100 million or $85 million or $90 million, I would make that move. As far as Freeman is concerned, I'm very surprised the Braves haven't re-signed him. The season just ended, but you know there are teams going to be after him. And if, if a team can persuade him to go to another team... He's going to leave. So knowing that he is your centerpiece of your team, and he really is fairly young player. He's 29 years old. He still has got a lot of baseball left. He hits for average. He's a gold glove winner. He's an all-world player, silver slugger. And the guy could do everything. Why would you let this guy get on the market and where you're dangling him around? The Yankees really like him. 
I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees gave him a contract. Now, he's going to be expecting, being that he's 29, I would say close to $200 million, maybe a little bit less because of the market, maybe 170 Yeah, I think if he does that, he'll probably stay with the Braves in that case. Yeah, I think with the Yankees, I think the only team he'd play for besides the Braves is the Yankees. Going to the Yankees, it's pinstripes, it's the New York Yankees, just the star-strucking place to play. I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees gave him enough money, him go to the Yankees and say, you know what, I'll just go play for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Mark Deshera, nobody thought Mark Deshera was going to leave the Texas Rangers. But being that he was getting hundred, almost $180 million, why stay there? He was traded there to the Braves, too, but then he could have gone back. That's right. I forgot he went to the Braves for, in the yeah, middle of the, the trade deadline, yeah. Yes, I forgot about that. And he did very well for the Braves. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he, he was a Braves fan growing up. A lot of people thought he was going to re-sign with the Braves. They, didn't, they weren't going to pay him $170, $180 million, whatever the Yankees gave him. They definitely overpaid him. And I know because the Red Sox were very interested in him. But I know they have a first baseman right now that's sitting and waiting. I know he wants to be in pinstripes. Anthony Rizzo has been waiting very patiently for the Yankees to extend him. I think he'd take a two-year deal with the Yankees. I think he wants to stay in pinstripes. But I think the Yankees might want to upgrade the position. And the only way you can upgrade that position is really Freeman. Rizzo is a great defender, good offensive player, questioning what the Yankees are going to do with it. But it's going to be a very interesting offseason, especially being that the winter meetings, the winter meetings, expect a couple of things to be done. I I think the Yankees might make a couple of small moves. I don't expect the big moves to happen until after Christmas. We'll see probably around January. That's the way free agency's always been with baseball the last like five years. So So maybe it'll change this year. Who knows? When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some basketball. The New York Knicks. And the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets playing unbelievable basketball right now. I can't really say anything bad about the Brooklyn Nets right now. And we expected this to happen. They're too talented to be a bad team. We knew they were going to figure out and find their pace. And now they're in first place in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll sit there for the rest of the season. The way Kevin Durant is playing, besides against Golden State, is an MVP. You can argue it's either Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, yeah. the MVPs. And that could be going throughout the season. So right now, Steph Curry is in first place in their division, and the Brooklyn Nets are in first place in their division. So when we come back, we'll get into the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks. They play a good game. They play a bad game. They play a good game. They play a bad game. They play a bad team. They stink. They play a good team. They win. They've gotten spells cast on them by the Orlando Magic. I don't understand that either. They cannot beat Orlando. It doesn't make any sense. Everybody else could beat them. By the way, Orlando is in last. They beat the Knicks twice, and the Knicks can't get over the hump against Orlando. It doesn't make any sense. When we come back, we'll get into the Knicks' woes and the Brooklyn's highs here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. Another show of the Weekend Crunch. Yes. Shout out to uh, Jets Insider Editor. If guys haven't heard it, tough luck to you. Listen to the replay on our app. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. Go to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. I'm going to talk about Brooklyn because... They've been the more exciting team here in New York. We did think the Knicks were going to pick up the pace and play a little bit better. Well, they've taken two steps forward to make four steps back. And they beat the good teams. They play a bad team. They stink. They just beat Milwaukee, a statement game. Now they're on a bad slump. It doesn't make any sense. But as far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, Kevin Durant has been unbelievable. James Harden's starting to pick up his game. We were expecting that. I didn't think that James Harden was going to play 
that bad all season long. First seven, eight games of the season, that has a lot to do with his offseason, his injury. He wasn't 100%. James Harden slowly but surely is starting to play really good basketball. He's averaging uh, 21 and 7 and 8. I mean, those are really good numbers for a starting point guard. MVP status if the MVP wasn't Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is averaging 28.6 points a game. Seven rebounds and four assists. Almost five assists a game. He is having one of his best seasons all around. He's playing good defense. This team is starting to play really good defense. Even Blake Griffin and Aldridge and the players that they brought in are playing good basketball. If you look at Blake Griffin's numbers, they don't stand out to you. Five, five, and two is not, oh my God, wow. He's been one of their anchors to their defense. Crazy to sound like that. Yeah, he wasn't like that his whole career. His whole career, he wasn't a defensive player. Now all of a sudden, he's not the (laughs) offensive player he once was. So now he's playing defense. He's playing good defense. The team is playing really, really good defense. And Maybe Steve Nash has something. Maybe Steve Nash is a good coach. We have to see him do it in the playoffs. I don't believe Steve Kerr is a good coach, but Steve Nash doesn't have the team that Steve Kerr has. And I know everybody's going to say, well, Steve Kerr doesn't have a great team. That's a bunch of crap. Well, oh, when healthy they do. Yeah. Even without Klay Thompson, the Golden State Warriors are a very good team. Everybody says, well, it's because of Steph Curry. Steph Curry's playing No, it's not only business. because of Steph Curry. No. They've also been missing James White. They have three guys that are either, averaging so. 20 points a game, and Steph is averaging almost 30. I look at this Brooklyn Nets team, I think they're only going to get better. I think they're going to pull away in the East. I don't think anybody is good enough to catch up to this team. They don't even have Kyrie Irving yet. Right. When they get Kyrie Irving back, and they will get Kyrie Irving back, I believe it. I believe he's waiting for that pill to come out, which doesn't have as potent as the shot is. I think when the pill comes out before January, I think he'll take the pills and mm-hmm. Shut everybody up, and he'll get back on the court. I do not believe the new mayor is going to change anything. He's pretty much said the vaccine and the yeah. booster shots are a must. If you want to go to professional games, you want to go to restaurants, it might even get worse. Now especially. the real question, do we know the basketball fanhood of this new mayor? <laughs> absolutely not. But If he's a Knicks fan, keep the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin Durant is really nothing bad to say about this guy. Coming back from an Achilles tear, a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be the same player. I think the Knicks thought that, and that's why the Knicks didn't make a move for him. I don't think the Knicks. Yeah, made and I think offer. a lot of it had to do with Kyrie Irving too. So. I don't really think so. They, I think they were going to play together wherever they went. I don't believe that Kevin Durant was waiting for the Knicks' offer, and he was upset that the Knicks didn't give him an offer. Yes, he wanted to play with Kyrie Irving, but who's to say that if Kevin Durant said, "I'm I want to play for New York," Kyrie says, "Okay, I'll I'll play for New York too." Nobody. Yeah, because I don't think Kyrie Irving was going to say no to the Knicks if that's what Kevin Durant wanted. Yeah, I think he had the he had the leeway with that. I don't think the Knicks wanted to offer him that money because of the injury. And the Knicks were afraid that if they offered him that money, he wasn't going to be the same player he once was. And that's Knicks luck. We saw that with Amari Stoudemire. We've seen this with other players they brought in through free agency, and they never turned out to be the players that they thought they were going to be. And I really thought that that's what the Knicks were thinking. They were dead wrong. Kevin Durant is a shooter. He's not a guy that's going to go to the hole, even though he can do that. Oh, of course. Um, but he's not like the dribble drive. Like, plus, I he's think... long, too. Yeah. So he doesn't he's even a, have to he, jump. Yeah, no, he has the step back. That was the only thing I was worried about was like that big like left leg step back. But even that's still been great. Kevin Durant has a loss to beat. And he's not somebody like Damian Lillard or Steph Curry that's going to dribble around and then shoot. They're going to extend him in the offseason. I think he's going to opt out, and he's going to get a, lot, a huge contract from the Nets. Yeah. I don't think he's going anywhere. This is where he wants to be. I think he wants to finish his career in New York, being that it's a big marketplace and he can promote his shoes, and that's where he wanted to be. As you know, LeBron James went to L.A., and Hawaii went to the other L.A. team, and I think he wanted to come somewhere where he could promote his sneaker. He didn't want to go and play with LeBron. He didn't want to go over there and play with Kawhi. So, this is his place. This is his team, and even with Kyrie there, and even with James Harden there, 
that is his team. And with everything that he's doing, he's just like he's an entrepreneur, just like LeBron James. He wants to build his name and his products. And why not do it in the biggest city? With this team, I think they're one piece away. Even with Kyrie Irving, I think they are oh, still sure. the best team in the NBA by far. If you bring in Kyrie Irving, I still think they're missing that other player. Spencer Dinwiddie would have been that player. Oh, he's playing phenomenal this year, too. He's going to be a great, great trade chip. Yep. If they fall out of position, which... Right now they're playing good basketball. Yeah, they might be. They might, they might be a lower level, mid level playoff team. But yeah, it's uh, not. It's not, I don't know how much of a long term success, especially with a Beal potentially. And that's the guy I think the Knicks should have went after. Spencer Dinwiddie is having a great season, fifteen five and five, finding himself. Maybe he goes back to the Nets. Maybe the Nets try to make a trade back with him, you know, and bring him back. But and he loved playing in Brooklyn. But he is a good player, and I think he could be a missing piece for a lot of different teams. Uh, he's still fairly young, 28 years old, too. Right. He's got a lot of basketball left in him uh, coming back from an ACL tear. So uh, to the Knicks, I don't know what this team is. Tom Thibodeau looks flabbergasted after some of the games. When they interview him, some of the questions that they ask him, he, he's getting tormented, and you see him getting angry at the press. And expect this to happen. One of the best defensive teams in the NBA last year, they've fallen out of that this year. They're not a top five defensive team in the NBA right now. Being that Tom Thibodeau preaches defense, he believes they should be a top three, top five defense in the league. And the only way they're going to win is if they're that. Kemba Walker is still figuring things out. I, I think it's still going to take him a little while. Uh, Evan Fournier is going gonna to take him a little while to figure out the team. But all in all, this team should be better than they are. Uh, they're a seven seed right now. If the season were to end, probably be playing their in game. Don't want to play an in game, uh, especially uh, the way we saw the in games last year. I mean, mm-hmm. look what uh, Golden State. Look what happened to the Lakers when they got in and how they fell right. apart. The injuries. You don't want to be a team that's sneaking into the playoffs and have to play the number one seed or the number two seed. It'll be interesting to see what Thibodeau has, is going to be doing. I'm not saying he has to completely change his coaching style, but the Knicks also this year, because of the, the starting five, he's already really drained them a lot. When the Knicks do have depth that is playing well, too. Maybe having like two different guys switch off in the starting lineups per game. And the Knicks has had success with Fournier, with R.J. Barrett when the stretch he was hot. And when they beat Milwaukee, a lot of those guys are stepping up. Now it's really in this stretch that they've been in right now, Manuel quickly has played well, and that's really all they've had consistently right now. And they, they can't have that. And maybe Quigley gets a start here and there. I mean, he should. He's, he's better. He's better as the six-man type. But at this rate, he deserves a start with the way he's played. He's really the only one carrying this offense right now. In terms of the defense getting worse, I mean, when the offense is is forcing shots early in the shot clock or turning the ball over like they've done a lot between Kemba Walker and Julius Randle and a couple other players that have really just not taken smart shots that's going to hurt your defense it's the Sounds same like thing. Julius Randle It's the same thing it's the same thing in football too if your offense is off the field on three and out your defense will look worse even if it's still talented and that system we know is very good with Thibodeau so I think that'll that'll get better once the offense at least gets more efficient and maybe even takes again maybe even takes longer and the shot clock maybe wears it out because again if you're on defense the whole game you're gonna get worn out it's gonna be very interesting and everybody knows i'm not a big julius randall fan he's a good player is he a sensational player it was very nice that he took less money to stay with the knicks he wants to be here you're a third option you're really not even a second option 
if the Knicks were to look, they need to look within their team to bring in that second option and be have a second option that you can depend on. Maybe it's R.J. Barrett being their second option. And, and go after a star that's going to be their closer. They do not have a closer. The Nets have two closers, two. And I'm, I'm not talking about James Harden. Kyrie Irving. Nope. <laughs> talking about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, two closers. All the good teams have two closers. Look at the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis. Every team has two closers. The Knicks don't have one. How are you supposed to win when you don't have a closer? And don't give me that Julius Randle is a closer. He's not. He's proven not to be. So now the Knicks are going to have to really look within either their team or look without and and find that guy that's going to be that closer for them, at least to help them relinquish what they are missing to the team. I hope Thibodeau makes some adjustments with the starting lineup because they can't keep wearing He looks like out that. of whack, man. He, he looks really upset and drained. If you look yeah. at his eyes after the game, how, how much he's yelling. I mean, they're missing defensive te- team defensive right. plays. Exactly. Like, they're missing easy blocks and easy dunks. Yeah. And again, I mean, like being a tough coach and a stubborn coach, like he is, is a good thing. But again, maybe again, he's got. They can hit the shots that people are in their face, but they can't <laughs> hit open open three point yeah, shots. You wonder, you wonder if he has to just maybe just some tweaks. It's again, not significantly change your coaching scheme. It's a great scheme. How about start your backup five and put your starters on the bench and let them see? Listen, if you're not playing well, I'm not playing you. Right. I'm not saying the whole starting lineup, but two or three guys. This team isn't playing good basketball, and and the. For the acquisitions they made in the offseason and the way they started the season, uh, I know it's only 15 games in. It's still very early. But it is alarming that you see Tom Thibodeau screaming on the sidelines and looks overwhelmed and drained. He usually does, but not as much as he has. He looks like he's he's tired of this crap, and I, I hope that these players figure this out because you do not want to see the Knicks go into the second half of the season playing catch-up in the Eastern Conference. That is not a good look, and that's going to be harder. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Finishing with Debate Wars and Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh, I like this. Na 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 We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. I'm sure you guys have been waiting patiently for this part of the show. Speedy? Debate Wars! This is the Debate Hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh**? All right, in honor of the first UBS Arena game for the New York Islanders, we'll start with an Islander. Who is a better winger all time, Yari Curry or Mike Bossy? I'm going to go with the Islander here. I'll go with Mike Bossy. Again, he didn't play as long as Yari Curry did, but I think he played, uh, obviously Yari Curry played with a lot more talent around him with Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. But Mike Bossy, with all those, cu- all those cup teams, and 
was top 30 all-time in points with a 10-year stretch. He didn't play very long, but that stretch is just too impressive to go on. So I am going with the Islander, Mike Bossy. I'm going to go with the smoking king, Mike Bossy. How many 50-goal seasons did he have in a row? I think it was eight or nine. I yeah, mean, he had like 800-point seasons. So, he's yeah. had unbelievable career. He's one of the greatest offensive goal-scoring we've ever seen come out of the NHL. When we talk about Ovechkin, we talk about Gretzky and Lemieux. And Gordy Howe, we can add Mike Bossy as an offensive player. Mike Bossy was a fantastic player. Even though I've heard he's not a nice player, when you meet him uh, all around, he is one of the most fantastic offensive players we've ever seen come out of the NHL. And the, the Islanders organization, number one, uh, definitely better than Yari Curry. So I'm going to go with Mike Bossy. But again, you also didn't think Brad Marshhead would be either, and you love talking to him. <laughs> yes. Let's go to baseball now. Who is a better player, Alfonso Soriano or Joe Carter? I'm going to take Joe Carter in this one. They're both kind of similar. They're both outfield, infield hybrid type players. Soriano was obviously a great guy when it came to stolen bases, but I don't think he had the longevity later on after he left the Yankees with the Nationals and with the Cubs. Uh, kind of a bad contract situation in both, both those teams. And Carter was playoff numbers were fantastic. One, two World Series with the Blue Jays. So I'm going to take Carter. I'm going to take Carter too because Alfonso Soriano never won a championship with those Yankee teams. So as good as Alfonso was, when he went over there and he played the outfield, he was never the same player he was as a shortstop or, I mean, a second baseman. So I'm going to go with Joe Carter. He won the championships. To me, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, yeah. Joe Carter. Let's do some tight ends. Heath Miller or Ben Watson, who was a better player? I'm actually going to take Ben Watson. I know Heath Miller is the more popular name, but Ben Watson, I think his longevity was a lot more impressive. Heath Miller was more of the, I catch a short pass occasionally, got on third down, but really wasn't a great overall player, wasn't an amazing blocker. Ben Watson did well, especially later in his career with the Saints and with the Ravens, when those teams didn't have a lot of offensive talent around him. Uh, neither of them are Hall of Famers, in my opinion. In Heath, we trust. I'm going to go with Heath Miller. I mean, he played with the Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. He played with Ben Roethlisberger. He won a couple of championships. Or he won one championship uh, with Ben Roethlisberger. I think he was the better all-around player. Now, Ben Watson played some great teams. He played for the New England Patriots, and he played all over the place. The Saints, what Heath Miller did at the time that he did it with the tight end starting to develop as the most important position or a very important offensive position in the league, uh, he was one of the best in the league, so I'm going to go with Heath Miller. All right, last one, an NBA one. We all know Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. In better. that draft, who was the second best player? Obviously, John Stockton in that draft, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Charles Barkley. Who was the second best player in that draft? Mm. I'm going to go Olajuwon on this one. I think Olajuwon, for a big man, a revolutionary big man at that time, was a great passer for a big man. Could shoot a little bit. Not a three-point shooter, but could shoot a little bit. Great defender. Uh, nine-time rebounding champion, I believe. Two championships in the middle of that uh, the Bulls dynasty with the Houston Rockets. Was a great leader. I think revolutionary. A little more, a little better than Barkley, I think, all around. So I'm going to go with Elijah Wong. I'm going to go with Barkley because he revolutionized the small forward position and the power forward position. Uh, he changed the game with size and power uh, and what he did on the court. And, and he really built his offensive skills, revolutionized what the 76ers were. Then he went over there to Phoenix and, and helped them go all the way to the finals against Michael Jordan and, and won the MVP that year when Michael Jordan had one of, one of his best years. So I'm going to go with Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley absolutely revolutionized his position for the better. All right, so that's it for Debate Wars. Now we move on to Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So once again, we'll start with the Islanders again. Buy or sell. The Islanders will win two out of the next three games. They will play at the UBS Arena. 
Maple Leafs, Rangers, and the Penguins are their opponents. I think they win two out of the three. I, I think they could beat the Maple Leafs. I think they could beat the Rangers. I think it, I, I think they could beat the Penguins. It really depends on how they feel on the ice, how strong, how good is the ice. It wasn't like the Barclays Center. Obviously, it isn't. It's better ice. I, I think it's really figuring out uh, their home, their home ice, and how much home ice do they have uh, as a team. So, I absolutely believe the Islanders can win two out of the next three games. Uh, especially at home, because I think being that they're at their home ice and they're not traveling, they're not going all over the place, and, and really, once they figure out what their home ice is and, and how strong they are on their home ice, I think they're going to be very, very hard to beat. So I'm going to go yes. I'm going to go yes as well, because I think it, definitely the first Toronto game with Tavares coming there, they're going to be livid at him. So I think they could blow out Toronto in that game. Toronto is a speed-oriented team, and I think they beat the Penguins too, or, or the Rangers, one of the two. I don't know if they win both, but one of the two I think they definitely beat. As I mentioned in the hockey segment, speed-oriented teams, I think that could be a tough time for them to adjust to right away. So I'm going to buy it as well. Alright, buy or sell. Both Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes will have 300-plus yards of passing. I'm going to buy that. I think both of them are going to play very, very well offensively. I think their offense, both Kansas City and the Cowboys are going to score. Uh, I, I just think um, I'm questioning both defenses. So I'm going to buy yes. I'm going to sell it. I mean, again, no Amari Cooper for Dak Prescott to work with. I think, like you're saying, I think they're going to run the ball a little more in this game. So I don't know if he gets 300. He'll still do well. 260, 270. I think Mahomes definitely will, though, because I think he'll be able to spread the field against a Cowboys secondary that outside of Trayvon Diggs has still had their issues. So I am going to sell it. Number 23, Utah will upset number three, Oregon at home. Oh, I'm going to sell that. That's not going to happen. Oregon has played very, very well. Uh, A lot of people believe Oregon could absolutely make the Final Four selection. I I think Oregon has played very, very well, and and their quarterbacks played well there. Their run game has been unbelievable in the nation. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I think Oregon's defense has been very impressive as well. Uh, when they've you been have, running the ball very well. They've been running the ball, yeah. And that's with a backup running back too. CJ Verdell got hurt a couple weeks ago. And now Travis Dye, who's the brother of Troy Dye, who just got drafted by the Vikings, mm-hmm. a linebacker. He's played very well. Uh, Anthony Brown, like you're saying, has been a good dual threat quarterback. Yeah, he has been. Uh, more, not, as much, not as turnover prone as he was in the beginning of the season. That defense has still played very well. So I'm also going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Javier Baez will re-sign with the New York Mets. I'm going to buy that. I think they will. I, I think Steve Cohen can't let this guy go. So even if he has to overpay him and pay him $190, $200 million, he'll do so. He's one of the best infielders in the league. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. Epler, he's always been one that spends money. I think he'll overpay if he has to to make sure that Baez stays. And he, they know the market is going to be strong for Baez. It already is. But a lot of teams that we weren't expected to be interested in already interested. So I am also going to buy it. Both Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams will have 100-plus yards and a touchdown in their match. I'm going to sell that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think one of them will. I think one of them will have 100 yards and maybe a touchdown. I think both teams are going to have to prove themselves defensively in this game. Uh, Minnesota has played very well in the front seven. Uh, The secondary, I believe, is very questionable this year. More questionable than they have been over the years. I think they were more a secondary team than a front seven. Now this year with Emerson, uh, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe he's... Maybe he has a new life, a new happy life. I don't know what it is. He's got a new spin move. Uh, Minnesota's defense has played very well in the front seven. And as far as 
the Green Bay Packers, their their front their front seven's been good, and their secondary's been very very good, even with their injuries with Alexander. So, uh, I think uh, it could be back and forth. Uh, I don't believe both of them will have 100 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, I'm gonna sell it too. I think also the, no Aaron Jones probably this week. AJ Dillon's gonna be the main guy for Green Bay, and he's in the red zone running back. So I think they're gonna steal a lot of touchdowns, passing touchdowns in general. I think Adams will have 100 yards because you're right. The Vikings secondary they've been a little better than they were in the beginning of the season, but still not great. And I think he'll get those yards. I think Jefferson will get the yards too. He might have the touchdown, but I don't think Adam gets the touchdown. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Alabama will cover minus 20 and a half spread at home against number 21, Arkansas. I'm going to buy it. I, I think I, I think we we know what Alabama is. And, and Alabama in the last two weeks have played very, very good football. Um, it's not going to be with Arkansas where they don't have to worry. They're going to have to worry about that Georgia game, which is coming up very, very soon. And they're going to have to prove themselves because if they lose that game, they're done. So I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy it, too. Also, I will note, though, too, don't sleep on the Iron Bowl either with Auburn, too. They've still been a tough team. I know Bo Nix just went out for the season, but they've played well running the ball, too, and defensively. Alabama's defense I think is still Alabama a, wins that game. They, they, Matt, I'm just saying don't rule it out because it's at Auburn, and Auburn has they won the last two. They lose both their games. Uh, they're well, really yeah, they're done, done anyway. They're really that's done. the case, yeah. But they've won both the last two at Auburn, too, so I wouldn't rule it out. It's the biggest rivalry in college football. So uh, I'll definitely buy that they've won against Arkansas, though, by 20 and a half points. Emmanuel Quigley, he's been playing well, but he hasn't had a 20 point game yet. Buy or sell, he gets one in the next three games. I'll buy it. Quigley's played well. He's been a fantastic uh, player since they brought him into the draft uh, last year, and and he's been sensational just developing really where we want him to develop as. He could be a future starter for the New York Knicks, so I'm going to buy it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think he'll eventually get one start here and there, and even if he doesn't, he'll, he's just so potent off the bench, and I think he's been a smart shooter, too, and he's really the only guy shooting threes right now, and I think they'll use that more, so I'm definitely going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. So Connor McDavid has a 21-game point streak right now. The active streak is Patrick Kane with 26. So buy or sell, Connor McDavid will surpass that. I think so. I think Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL by far. And and listen, I love Patrick, and, and Patrick will probably be traded by the end of the season. And I thought Connor McDavid's on a whole nother level right now, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think the, the offensive talent around McDavid has played a lot better for the Oilers, too. He gets he get goals and assists. He'll definitely get some multi-point games and all that as well. So I am and that's absolutely going to buy it. And, and by it. the way, Patrick Kane's the guy I think the Islanders should be going Yeah, they, they definitely could get that. I can see it as well. All right, let's do one more. Buy or sell. Both Najee Harris and Austin Eckler will have 100-plus rushing yards. I'm going to buy that. I think both teams are very good running teams. I think they depend on their run very, very much for the quarterbacks to throw the ball. So I'm going to buy that. I think I think Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert will be a little bit better than Ben, but I think they're both going to have problems throwing the ball in the game. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. Even though the Steelers do have a good run defense, losing T.J. Watt's going to hurt that a lot, where they're going to have to blitz in terms of the rushing the passer a lot more, which I think will open up some more running lanes for Eckler. The Chargers' offensive line has been very good throughout the year. Cameron Hayward's also not playing 100% if he does play either, which is going to hurt in that interior. So I think Eckler, I don't know it'll be massively 100 yards, but I think he'll get it. And Najee Harris, I think he'll definitely get the Chargers. I think it's the third-worst run defense in the NFL, so I will buy it as well. Wow, we agreed to almost everything. I know. It's crazy. Figure that one out. I mean, you make all the picks. That's the end of our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, shout out to Chris Nimbly for joining us. We really appreciate you, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Shout out to all the fans that listen to us all over the country and here on Long Island. Keep listening to us. We are the voices of Long Island Sports Radio and 
all of sports radio. If you like uh, WFAN shows, you should be listening to us. We are the top sports radio show here in New York. I don't care what anybody says. We're as good as anybody. So keep listening to us. Uh, Download our app by going to WWSRN on iOS or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Until next week, this is Errol and Speedy saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.